Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Glad you guys are here. Hey, why don't you turn uh, in your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, the text will be up on the screen, and you're certainly welcome uh, to follow along on the screen. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Um, this morning marks, I believe, part 10 uh, there's a one, zero missing, part 10, I believe, of our sermon series uh, this winter called Growth God's Way. And we have been examining the question, uh, what are some of the characteristics and habits of churches that are healthy, of churches that grow uh, both in number and in health and in faith and in love? Um, what are some of the characteristics of those kind of churches? On the contrary, what are some of the things that those churches don't do? Uh, what do they avoid? And this morning we find ourselves in part 10 of this series. Um, we're going to have kind of part one, if you will, of this sermon this week. And then part two of this sermon will come next week. And then we'll be done with this series. And so we are actually on the final sermon or couple sermons, depending upon how you see it, um, in this hopefully enjoyable and beneficial and uh, life-changing series. I I hope it has been that for you. Um, It's been really good and challenging for me. We've spent the bulk of our time in the book of Acts, uh, because we see very clearly in the book of Acts God moving in supernatural ways as the gospel went forth uh, from the lips both of the apostles and regular Um, Joes and Sallies like yourself, and the gospel went forth, and the church in the first century just exploded, uh, not only in Judea, where the Jews lived, but all across the Greek and Roman world. Uh, The gospel uh, went forth, and the church was born, and it's still going 2,000 years uh, plus. And so we've been studying this, and uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning. So if you have your Bibles ready, um, let's do this. We're going to pray, and uh, we're going to ask God's blessing on uh, his word to us, and we'll dive in. So let's pray. Father, we take a moment um, just to pause in humility before you. Father, we recognize that you indeed are a great God, and that you're holy, and that you're powerful, and that you're mighty, and that you're full of glory and splendor and unapproachable light. And uh, we're so grateful that you are a great God. We're grateful that you are all, at all places at all times. We're grateful that you know all things, uh, past, present, and future. Father, we're grateful that you're sovereign over all things and that nothing surprises you. You see beginning from the end. You are the Alpha and the Omega. And we're grateful that you, being eternal and separate from your creation, on that fateful day, uh, some 2,000 plus years ago, you asked your son to become human. And on that day, Jesus Christ, you, um, in obedience to the Father and selflessness, you gave up your rights and you took on the form of a bondservant. You became fully human. And on that day, the creator God, who sustains all things, um, was born in a manger and was dependent on humanity. Jesus, thank you for your humility. Thank you that you have come to reveal the Father to us. Thank you that you have come to teach us that which is true. Thank you that you have come to live a life of perfect obedience in every element and in every area of life because we are fully corrupt, incapable, immoral, un, uh, unsatisfactory before you, Father. And yet your son is, pull, is fully perfect and righteous and acceptable and beloved in your eyes. And he 
in his perfect life gives us that. And we're grateful for it. Jesus, we're grateful not only that you died for us, uh, that you lived for us, but you died for us as well. And that you rose from the, from the dead, that you defeated death, that you were, came up in a resurrected body, and one day we will share in that so that we can have forgiveness of sins, so that we can have power over our sinful flesh, so that we can have a hope of a future with you forever and ever in a resurrected body, fully human, the way that you've made us to be. We're so grateful for the salvation that you've provided in Christ. And we're grateful for the revelation that you've given us in your Bible. Um, Spirit, would you come? Would you open up our eyes? Uh, Would you help me to speak words that are powerful and accurate and true and meaningful and that we would have soft hearts, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear to receive your word um, and that it might do an internal great work of transforming us into the image of your very son. We do love you. We're grateful for the day and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So I don't know uh, about you, um, but I grew up, uh, as you know, in the South, and I think that upon moving to Illinois, um, where I grew up and where you guys uh, have uh, lived and where we live here together have this in common. Um, We don't have too many earthquakes uh, down in Texas. Uh, I don't know. I've only lived here for almost four years, but I don't think that you guys are real earthquake prone either. In fact, I would venture to say that it's nothing like California. Uh, But that being said... um, in February of 2010, we had the privilege, if you will, or the opportunity uh, to experience something that uh, I, or maybe some of you, had never ever uh, likely had the possibility of of experiencing, and that was the experience of an earthquake. Uh, In fact, in February of Uh, 2010, one early, early morning, um, there was an earthquake that originated. And that earthquake originated about, they say, 50 miles to the northwest of Chicago, was the uh, the place where the plates shifted and there was the fault line, the originating place of this earthquake uh, that then uh, spread throughout different regions in the Midwest. Uh, Officially, it was clocked at 3.8 in magnitude, which I think is decent, Like I said, I'm from Texas, I don't know. (laughs) I think that's a decent earthquake, 3.2. And uh, according to reports, millions of people felt the aftershocks, felt the reverberations of this earthquake that originated uh, just north and west of Chicago. In fact, uh, they say that these states experienced some of the aftershocks of the reverberations. I'll just list them. Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, Iowa, and Wisconsin, and of course, Cisna Park, Illinois, and the surrounding communities. And so I want to ask you, as we get into our text this morning, how many of you actually felt that morning, the earthquake? How many of you guys felt that? Several of you felt that. So it, it woke you up. The shaking woke you up. I wish that I could say that uh, I had experienced that earthquake, um, I did not. I was sound asleep, and uh, that's so odd for me because typically I'm, I'm a very light sleeper, and most things kind of wake me up easily, and so I just found it shocking when I saw on the news that morning that there was an earthquake and that houses were rattled, and I was like, I don't know, my house looks fine, and <laughs> I slept like a baby, you know? Um, but it was interesting to hear some of you talk about uh, what that was like, um, Maybe Asher had a bad night and we slept like a baby. I don't know what happened. Um, but pro- well, let me ask you this. How many of you, that was your first earthquake experience? 
Okay, no. So some of you have felt earthquakes before. Um, I had never, and I guess still I never have felt an earthquake, um, which I'm kind of grateful for. But here's the deal. Um, when earthquakes originate, basically what happens is there is a place of origin. Uh, there's a fault line. There's kind of some kind of a shift underneath, and, and an earthquake uh, originates during that uh, or at that spot. And then what happens, as you well know, that it reverberates. It kind of goes out from that place of origin, and it affects uh, hundreds of millions of people and, and kind of reverberates across probably thousands of miles. This morning in our text, First Thessalonians chapter 1 is really where we're going to focus. Uh, we're going to see uh, something very similar to an earthquake. Um, very much like the uh, place of origin for an earthquake is a fault line. That's the place where this huge uh, seismic event originates. In our text this morning of 1 Thessalonians, we're going to see Paul, and we're going to hear an account from the lips of Paul, how Paul went into the city of Thessalonica, and how he presented the gospel, how he lived among them, shared with them, worked side by side, preached to them, and how Paul's gospel presentation was kind of a spiritual fault line. It was kind of a spiritual fault line that erupted into what I would call an earthquake size conversion if you will, in that city among these believers. And like earthquakes do, they reverberate and they travel thousands of miles. What we're going to see is that Paul's gospel presentation that we're going to focus on this morning actually erupted and reverberated uh, deeply into the lives of these early Christians. In fact, I would say that the shockwaves touched every area of these early believers' lives. And not only that, not only did it affect them so deeply and so broadly and so widely, but it affected other people. And so this earthquake size conversion, as Paul presented the gospel and these people turned from their idols to place their faith in Jesus, this place of spiritual shifting in their lives erupted into not only changed lives, but it erupted into a church that was a missional church. It erupted and reverberated to a church that affected not only themselves and their lives, but the lives of people all around them. And so we're going to do this. Uh, We're going to focus on verses 1 through 5 this morning. As I said, this is kind of part 1 of our wrap-up sermon. And in verses 1 through 5, we're going to see four things. And so if you're taking notes, there will be four points, if you like to jot stuff down, four elements, if you will, of what I would call a seismic gospel presentation. That is, the, the kind of gospel presentation that can erupt that God can use to erupt salvation and conversion in a person's life in a dramatic way. That's what we're going to see, four elements. And so uh, since I'm a preacher, I have liberties to alliterate. And so we're going to see four Ps, okay? So you jot down your Ps, and we're going to see four Ps this morning of a seismic gospel presentation that God did use in Paul's life and that God can use in my life and in your life as you share with people, as you live among them, as you work beside them as Paul did and as you in your conversations and in your workplaces and in your schools share the gospel, which is what we've been talking about all semester long. So let's do this. I want us to read uh, our text, actually 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, all 10 verses and get kind of the broader context, and then we'll kind of narrow down and focus in on verses 4 through 5. So let's read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 together. Paul, uh, Silvanus, and Timothy, 
to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. And he gets in. We thank God, uh, we, th- we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Acacia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and in Acacia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We have the reading of God's word. So this is what I'd like for us to do. Uh, What I want to do is simply this. I want us to see four elements, four parts, four um, things that uh, constitute Paul's gospel presentation. Here's the question. What was it about Paul and his companions that when they entered into the city and they rubbed shoulders with these non-Jewish people who were very different than them, what was it that God used to really bring the gospel to bear in the life of these believers. And so there are four things, I think, and really we find these four things in one verse, uh, verses four and five, but particularly verse five. And so let me do this. I'm going to read verses four and five again because that's where our sermon and our four uh, elements are going to come from. So verse four, <clears throat> for we know, brothers, loved by God, uh, that he has chosen you. And so this is why. This is what Paul's going to say, these elements. This is why we are certain that God has chosen you Because, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And so we're going to see four things, really simply four things that make up an earthquake, seismic kind of gospel presentation that God can use in a mighty way. And so the first thing is, uh, is what I call proclamation. And so if you're writing down notes, the number one, the first P is proclamation of the gospel. Proclamation of the gospel. And we see this in the very first phrase in, chapter, uh, in verse 5. Notice, because our gospel came to you, came to you not only in word. Our, ga- our gospel came to you not only in word. And so as Paul continues to list these things, this, these elements of his gospel presentation to these people, um, he begins and he says, you know, our, our presentation of the gospel came to you not just in word. And then he's going to go on to, to emphasize all of the things that accompanied he and his fellow companions as they shared the good news of Jesus and all of the things that accompanied this word, this word, uh, but nevertheless, the point is, is that the gospel 
was a proclamation. The gospel message that he shared was a proclamation. And what I mean by that is that it was a verbal communication of certain truths. It was a verbal communication of certain good news elements that had to be believed, not only in word. It came verbally. And so what we see is that Paul came and there was certain news that had to be heralded. There was certain truths that need to be embraced. There were certain uh, propositional uh, truths that had to be not only uh, understood in the mind but embraced with the heart. There had to be certain things that were communicated because the gospel, first and foremost, simply the good news, is news. News is something that you hear and it's something that's true and it's something that is verbally communicated. And so if I were to say, and I'm not, but if I were to say, I've got great news for you this morning and it regards our baby girl and you'd probably be anticipating that I'm going to tell you what her name is and I'm not <laughs> because we don't know. Um, uh, so don't ask. No, just kidding. <laughs> you can ask. Uh, but you would, you would think that there's going to be some good news that's going to come, right? But if I just said, I've got great news, and it's regarding our baby, our baby girl. That's it. See you. I, I'm not communicating anything, am I? There's no truth to be understood or grasped or embraced because the good news, the gospel, at its core, it... It has to be more than this, but it can't be less than this. Truth to be accepted. So here's the question. Paul kind of alludes to it. He says, I came to these people with a word. But what was that word? I mean, what was it that he shared with them? Uh, turn in your Bibles with me backwards a little bit to the book of 1 Thessalonians. So flip backwards, and when you find 1 Thessalonians, turn with me to chapter 15. Uh, I don't think the text will be on the screen, and that's okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is going to share with us this word. He says, I came in word. There was good news that I had to share with these people. And what was it? Well, he identifies it in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, uh, starting in verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, writing to the Corinthians, of the gospel. So he's going to tell them, I'm going to remind you of this good news. What is it? I'm going to remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. He preached it in Corinth. He preached it in Thessalonica. Paul preached the same message everywhere he went. And this is what it was. Which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And then in verse 3, he gets to the content of this message. For I delivered to you as of first importance. So he says, this is most important. When I go and I share good news, this is it. This is primary. This is the most important information that I can share with you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the content of the gospel. That Christ, that is Jesus, that he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, uh, once again, in accordance with the scriptures. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus appeared. And so what was this proclamation all about? What was the content? Quite simply, it was this. Paul, as he went into every city and as he rubbed shoulders with people, as he worked with them and shared with them in the synagogues or wherever he may be, there was a, a message that he had to communicate. And the content of that message was simply this, that Jesus Christ died. And that he not only died historically in real life, really dead, dead as a doornail, cold, he died, but he died for our sins. 
See, there's a theological significance. He didn't just die. He died for our sins. That is, bearing our sins and that he was raised from the dead. That is the content of this proclamation. That's the content of this word. And so the first element of any seismic, earthquake kind of bringing gospel presentation must include these truths. There must be content. Turn with me again to another, uh, keep on going backwards, to the book of Romans. It's just a little bit to your left. In Romans chapter 10, Paul talks about the necessity of people hearing and understanding and believing these truths, this good news about Jesus, that people have to hear it. It has to be proclaimed in order for them to believe it and get saved. Uh, Let's start in chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. Paul says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he says, If you call on the name of Jesus, you're going to be saved. And then 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So you're not going to call out to Jesus for salvation if you haven't believed in him. He goes on, And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? You see that? You have to hear something. You have to hear the truth about Jesus to be able to call on him, to be able to be saved. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You see that? There has to be a verbal proclamation of the gospel. So what does that mean for us? This is an application point if you want to jot it down. A gospel presentation that saves must include at least four things, but this is number one. A gospel presentation that God used to bring, uses to bring people to faith in Christ, it includes verbal proclamation. And here's where I'm getting at, guys. Um, there's been a lot written as of late. There's been a, a kind of a push and a movement in the broader evangelical world, which is healthy to some degree, which basically says uh, the gospel is, is just not doctrine. It's just not something that we mentally assent, assent, uh, believe in or assent to, uh, but it, it's something that we live out. It's following Jesus. And so there are implications. And so some people have kind of skewed and misunderstood the gospel for the result of the gospel. Some people have said the gospel is the result of the gospel, which is social justice, feeding the poor, good works, living a life, following Jesus. All of those things are good and right, um, but they have been confused and they think that that is the gospel. It's called the social gospel and you'll see it in a lot of different forms, but here's what Paul is saying. He's saying a social gospel is not a gospel at all. See, some of us, have bought this lie. Some of us have bought the lie that we are sharing the gospel when we bring some food to a needy family. And that's sharing the gospel. Some of us have bought the lie that when we fill up someone's car with a tank of gas or carry someone's kids to school or to practice or whatever it is that good deed is as a Christian, we have confused that with the gospel. It's a result of the gospel. Titus says that good deeds should adorn the gospel What does that mean when we adorn something? I think of a Christmas tree. There's a Christmas tree and then it's plain. And what do we do? We make it look better, so to speak, by adorning it with beautiful things. But that's not the Christmas tree, is it? Those are the good works. And so we buy this lie that we're sharing the gospel when we do these things. Are we opening doors for the gospel? You bet. Are we looking and making Jesus and the gospel look attractive? You bet. Should we do those things? You bet. But is bringing someone Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner, is that enough to save them? 
And Paul says, no, it's not enough to save them because they have to hear the good news of Jesus. And so a gospel presentation that is effective, number one, is a proclamation. It's more than that. There are other things, and Paul's going to talk about those other things, but it can't be less than that. Do you understand? It can't be less than the content. So there's proclamation. Number two, uh, second P, not only is there a proclamation of the gospel, but there is what I would call power from the spirit or spiritual power or just power, whatever you like. P, power. Notice what Paul says. We're walking our way through verse five. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, here's number two, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. Paul is talking about how he presented the gospel to these people and he says that as he presented it to them, it was accompanied by power and the Holy Spirit. Now, I think this is really one thing. I think these are uh, not synonymous, but they're linked oftentimes in the New Testament. Power and the Holy Spirit. We're flipping around a little bit. Turn backwards with me to 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians. We were in 15, now we're in 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What we see here is Paul and... Uh, do we have these verses? 1 Corinthians? No, good. It's even better. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Notice what Paul says and how he links this idea of the Holy Spirit empowering his gospel presentation. Uh, 2, 1 through 5. And when I came to you, brothers, again, talking to the Corinthians, and when I came to you, brothers, um, did, and, excuse me, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Sound familiar? The word, the gospel. That's the content, the proclamation. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. And then catch this. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And Paul's point is simply this. He says, I didn't just come to you uh, like with a, as a clever salesman. I didn't just come to you and speak eloquently like the most uh, professional speech person ever. He, he, didn't, he wasn't cunning. He wasn't clever. There were no gimmicks or gadgets. He basically said, I came to you, but there was a spiritual power that accompanied my speech. I didn't just speak the gospel, I spoke it in power and in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, consequently, when people heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit worked in them too. And the Holy Spirit helped them understand and place their faith in Jesus. You could say that Paul and his companions were spirit-led and the hearers were spirit-awakened. Thomas Constable puts it really well. The response of his converts, that is Paul's, was a supernatural work of God, not a response to a cleverly delivered sermon. And you know what? That's what I pray when I preach to you guys and when I talk to people. I don't really care if you think I'm funny or if I'm I'm entertaining or if I've got a good video, which I'm about to have a good video, by the way. But I don't really care about that um, as much as I care that my speech has spiritual power to impact your life and the life of unbelievers. And that's how Paul spoke the gospel. He didn't just say words, but those words were carried into the hearts of the unbelievers by the Holy Spirit. And so you could say, uh, you could say that there was power. Uh, so 
Application number two. A gospel presentation that saves not only must be a verbal presentation, but it must be supernatural. And, and this is something that's, gosh, so important. Uh, it's supernatural. And so this is good news because from the perspective of the giver, that means that we can just go and we can communicate these truths and it can be accurate and good and well, but if we are not praying, if we're not walking in the Spirit, if we're not asking the Holy Spirit to please take our words and to impact people's lives, then we can just share the truth over and over again and it will not be received. And so, uh, do you do that? When you talk with people, when you feel like there's a conversation that's about to be had that's going to turn in, in, towards spiritual things and you can feel it turning and you with boldness go there, do you ask the Spirit to give you boldness and clarity and to take the words that you're going to speak and just apply it to the heart of that unbeliever? That's what we should be doing. On the receiver side, this is good news because what that means is when we share the gospel in power and with the Holy Spirit, we leave it up to the Holy Spirit to do that work, his work in the life of that unbeliever. That unbeliever may be persuaded and enabled by the Spirit to place their faith in Jesus, or they may cuss you out and slam the door in your face. It may be either or, um, but that's okay because we're doing our job. There's an old Puritan saying that you may have heard before. It's really, I think, uh, true. They said this. They said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. Maybe you've heard that before. But they would say the same sun, the same truth of the gospel that melts ice, the ice is responsive to it, it melts, hardens, makes it even more stubborn, the clay. And that's how the gospel is. That's how the gospel is. When we share the gospel in power and the Spirit does not work to help an unbeliever place their faith in Christ, that truth just hardens their heart. Have you seen that before? Have you talked with someone maybe over and over about the gospel and every time you do, man, it's like clay in a sun. It's baking. It's getting harder and harder and harder and more resistant. But sometimes you talk with people and man, it's like ice outside at 100 degree weather. It just melts. They're responsive. You're like, can I share with you something about, you know, it's really important to me? You're like, yeah, I'd love to hear that. You're like, well, uh, when I was five, I, I went to church, and you go through this story about how Jesus saved you and, and the truth of that, and they're like, man, how, does, how can that happen for me? And you're like, I can't believe this is happening. And you're like, well, let me, let me tell you. You placed your faith in Jesus. It's real simple. And you say, can I, can I, can I pray with you? And you want to do that? They're like, yeah, right now. And it's just like, like their heart melts before you. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. I can't, you know, I'm, I don't have the gift of evangelism. It comes hard for me. Um, but I've had those opportunities. I, I think of one uh, particular young lady um, when she was probably 12. She was from a rough area in Dallas. And uh, it was just a neat thing. She's been coming to our youth group and hearing preaching. And, and I would take her and a bunch of other kids home. And she would usually sit in the front. And so we'd talk. And I'd, we'd talk about Jesus and all sorts of things. And there was this, it was just amazing. Like one day she's like, Trey... I think I'm going to become a Christian. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, it's like, okay. And she, and she was like, yeah, so I'm going to pray that prayer. I'm like, yeah, you do that. And, and, she, and she did. She's like, all right, thanks. See you at church. I'm like, all right, see you. It's just amazing. You know, it's like, wow, there we go. Power in the Holy Spirit. So we have a proclamation of the gospel. We have power in the Spirit. Number three, third P, uh, we have what I would call personal certainty. This is where it kind of gets hard, guys, so bear down. Uh, personal certainty. Notice what Paul says in verse 5 again. Uh, it says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, proclamation, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, power from the Spirit, and 
Notice this, and with full conviction. It says that when Paul came to present this to people, he and his fellow other apostle missionary band of brothers, um, they had full conviction. Now this word conviction doesn't, it doesn't mean what we think it means. In the Greek it means to be completely certain about a truth or to be completely certain of the truth of that particular thing in your own mind. So we think of conviction as, oh, I did something bad, I feel guilty. Well, it does mean that, but this word means that you are sure of what you're saying. You are 100% certain of the truth that you're communicating. So then what does this mean? It means that Paul verbally shared the gospel, he proclaimed it, there was spiritual power backing his presentation, but he also had conviction in his own life. He actually believed what he was sharing. Is that, is that simple enough? He believed what he was sharing. He believed it with all of his heart. And surely when you saw it on his face, you thought, whether it's true or not, I don't know, but he believes it. <laughs> it's affected his life. One commentator puts it really well. Paul's message was marked by his own certainty that this message would change their lives as it had radically changed his. He had personal certainty. And so I would put it this way. Um, Paul wasn't a salesman. I don't know, no offense to salesmen. I mean, if you're a salesman, fine. I'm not, not knocking you. But I think sometimes salespeople can come across as just wanting to sell you a product. You know what I mean? They're just pushing their product. They want the buck. They don't really care about their product. They don't, they don't really think the knives are, are the best in the world or that their vacuum is going to be the most effective household appliance for you. They don't really think that. They're not convinced of it. They just want to sell you something. And Paul wasn't like that. He didn't just want to sell them something. So I, I've got a clip here that I want to show you. I don't know how many of you like the progressive commercials. Admit with me, I love the progressive commercials. How many of you like flow? I like flow. I'll admit it. I like flow. There was one that, that has kind of stuck with me, so I'm going to show it to you. And basically, you've probably seen it in one minute. Uh, basically, she is uh, you know, doing her thing, and there are these two guys there, right? And they work for a different insurance company. You've seen this one. And they're like snooping around. And she's like, you know, here, we've got the best stuff. And then he sees his, you know, co-worker. And he's like, Bill? He's like, Tom? And, uh, you know, they don't think that their insurance is really good. What they're selling is not as good as progressive. So let's watch this. Ah, auto. Sir, finding everything okay? I work for a different insurance company. My auto policy is just getting a little too expensive. With Progressive, you get the Name Your Price tool. It helps you find the price that's right for you. Wow, the price gum. Uh-huh. <laughs> I wish we had this. We just tell people what to pay. Yeah, we're the only ones that do. I love your insurance. Bill? Tom? Hey, it's an office party. The Name Your Price tool. Only okay. from Progressive. Uh, we're not going to promote Progressive here <laughs> anymore. <laughs> and it's Name Your Price tool. Um, but, you know, this came to mind because these guys were salesmen. And the product that they were pushing, their insurance, like it wasn't very good and they didn't really believe it. And, uh, you know, Paul was not that way. He had personal certainty. So I want to ask you, when you try to talk to Jesus about people or you try to bring up spiritual conversations, do people get the sense from you that you just want them to buy your product? (laughs) That, That you just want them to buy what you're selling, to come to grace, to come and give money to grace, to make grace bigger. Or maybe that you're just looking for kind of that spiritual scalp to put on your belt. You know what I mean? Is that, 
Do people get that sense? And another question is, when I share the gospel with someone, do they get the sense that I have been radically changed by what I'm sharing with them? That my life is any different because of what I'm telling them? Or am I just sharing out of guilt or obligation? Um, sometimes I think if, when we're sharing the gospel, it lacks power because we really don't believe what we're saying. Because we really haven't been changed by the Jesus that we're talking about. And Paul has. And I pray that I have been and will be. And I pray that you will be too. So we've seen proclamation, power, personal certainty, and last, certainly not least, personal integrity. Personal integrity. That's our last, our last, um, our last P. Uh, and I get this from the very last phrase in verse 5. Paul says, You know, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. What is Paul talking about? He says, you know the kind of guys that we were. You know how we acted when we were with you. Flip ahead to chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. I don't think it's on the screen. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Specifically, Paul is talking about the fact that when he preached in a city, and we talked about this one or two weeks ago, that when he went into the city to preach and to share the gospel, he worked. He didn't take support from the new believers in that city. He took support from other believers in other cities, but not in that work. Um, and that's what he's talking about. Notice, similar language, verse 9 of chapter 2. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. What does he mean? We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, focus on this, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless, and here's the word, was our conduct towards you believers. And so what Paul is saying is, is he's saying, listen, you know that we weren't peddling the gospel for money. You know that we weren't salesmen. We worked among you. But the principle, the broader principle is simply this, and we've heard it a million times, you practice what you preach. That's what he's saying. When he presented the gospel, he had personal integrity he had personal integrity. I heard a, a quick story uh, out of a newspaper, an old newspaper, and it was a, a report out of Florida. And uh, there was a, uh, the story goes like this. Uh, there was a fried chicken place, just a local, local mom and pop fried chicken place. And this guy uh, went with this, uh, this girl uh, to get a box of chicken. And so they order the chicken and they take it to the park. And when they're going to have their lunch together at the park, they open it up and it's full of cash, like a lot of cash. And they're like, something's not right here. Uh, we ordered a chicken wing, not 2,000 bucks, you know, or whatever. And so they were kind of faced with a dilemma. Well, as the story goes, they decided, according to the newspaper, to take it back. And so uh, he took it back and he said, here, you know, Mr. Manager, you gave us this. It's probably all of your income for the day, you know, all of your sales. And he was like, yes, this is what we do. I always put it in this box. And one of my employees gave it to you, yada, yada, yada. And so he was just, the manager was so thankful and said, man, you just, you have to be the most honest guy in, say, Miami, if it was Miami. You have to be the most honest guy in the state of Florida. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call the newspaper because they need to hear about this. They need to hear about your honesty and about your integrity. And the guy kind of backed off and basically said, no, no, please don't do that, don't do that. He's like, why? I mean, man, you, people need to hear about this. He's like, well... Uh, the girl in the car is not my wife. <laughs> and so he didn't want that to put out. Um, and, you know, Paul wasn't like this. Um, his personal integrity, the way that he lived, backed up what he did. 
He wasn't just peddling the gospel. He lived an upright and moral and righteous life among the people that he was uh, witnessing to. And so number four, a gospel presentation that saves. Not only has proclamation, not only has supernatural ability, not only has personal certainty, but uh, it's accompanied with personal integrity. Um, I think sometimes this scares us because we think it means personal perfection. I don't know about you, but I'm sure you've heard this opposition from people who are unbelievers, and to some degree, or maybe to a large degree, it's true. They say, you're just a bunch of hypocrites, man. You're just hypocrites. You don't live what you say, and you just, you know. And yeah, and maybe that's true. Um, but that being said, um, Paul isn't talking about personal perfection. I mean, I'm sure even Paul, maybe at some point, had a sinful thought or a word as he was with these people. I mean, he wasn't, I mean, he was, he was an apostle, but I mean, surely, you know, he, he wasn't perfect. He says that in Philippians. I mean, he's not, it wasn't perfect. We're not talking about being perfect so that no one can say, man, I, you, you kind of lost, lost your temper here a little bit, you know, five years ago. I'm not going to believe that gospel. <laughs> We're not talking about perfection. We're talking about integrity, which is an upward trend of holiness and morality in the right direction. It means you're most of the time consistent in living out your faith. And so that means... Um, we don't go around saying Jesus forgives us and Jesus can forgive you and he can change you like he's changed my life and then there's blatant inconsistencies. You're not cussing like a sailor all the time or sleeping around or you know, raising your voices at your kids or getting in fights or getting plastered or whatever, whatever. You know? um, there's consistency, there's integrity there so that when they look at you, they don't say, that sounds amazing. Grace, I can go to heaven for free if I place my faith in Jesus and Jesus can transform me and change me. That sounds really good, but there's nothing special about you. So forget it. That's what I'm talking about. There is personal integrity. So we've seen four Ps this morning in part one of our last sermon, uh, gospel presentation. Next week, we're going to talk about how the gospel, this gospel presentation erupted into reverberations into all the whole all of, every area of life for these believers. I mean, it just affected them through and through. And not only that, but it affected the people around them. That's where we're going to go next week. But this week we've seen that this gospel, this gospel presentation of Paul's was kind of like a spiritual fault line. It was a spiritual place of origin in the hearts of these Thessalonians and it erupted into what I would call an earthquake-sized conversion. We've seen four elements, proclamation, power, personal certainty, and personal integrity. And so do we have these? Do we have these? I pray that we do. As we close, I want to ask you a personal question. And we're going to pray, we're going to, we're going to go eat or go home or whatever it is. Um, but I want to ask you, as we talk about this kind of life-changing event in a person's life, uh, we see that they turned from idols to serve the living God. They were giving up sexual immorality. I mean, this gospel, this truth of Jesus changed their lives. Have you ever had an experience like they have had? I mean, have you ever, does this connect with you? Can you think back in your life and, and say, I remember when that happened to me. I remember when someone revealed and proclaimed these truths to me and I understood them and accepted them. I remember when that impacted me in such a powerful way like I was when I was 12 and 13 and 14 and sitting in this Baptist church and he was preaching and preaching and preaching Jesus, Jesus. And I remember my, I remember getting sick physically. My stomach was like, literally, because I didn't want Jesus. (laughs) I didn't want that. 
but I was being convicted with power. Do you ever remember that happening? <laughs> Maybe not if you were barfing, but, but th- I mean, you know, can you identify that? Where you were so convicted by the Holy Spirit about the truth of this Jesus that you just had to do something about it. And the guy who, or, or gal who is talking to you or sharing with you or preaching, they had full conviction. I mean, they believed it. He was no phony. They had personal integrity. You knew them and you knew that they weren't a fake. Has that ever happened to you? Because if it hasn't, then that means that you're not a believer. You're not a Christian. You haven't trusted in Jesus. And I beg and ask that you would do just that, simply by faith, believing in Jesus, his life for your bad life, his death for your death, his sins, uh, your sins upon him, his righteousness upon you. It's called the great exchange. You place your faith in Jesus, and you get heaven and salvation and forgiveness of sins and a new nature. Invite you to do that if you've never done it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just thank you for uh, just clear examples of how uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, can really shape us. And thank you for Paul. Thank you for uh, these unnamed people who are with him, uh, the guys who were named, the guys who weren't, and how they faithfully went about uh, sharing this gospel. They proclaimed it. Um, in all of its accuracy, there was power in it. They had personal integrity, and they believed it. And Father, I pray for us at Grace Bible Church. Um, if we are going to reach this community, and if we're going to have people um, come to faith in Christ, and if we want to see this church become all that you desire it to be, it's not going to be, be people leaving other churches and coming here, although that's great. Father, we want people who haven't placed their faith in Jesus to do that here or through us. Father, I pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters that you would wipe away every fear that we have, every hesitation, every uh, question um, as to why we're not doing this. Help us to model. Give us opportunities to do this so that you can then help us experience uh, growth in your way. We ask it in Christ's name. Guys, thanks. I want to invite you to diner. Um, If not, we'll have a good week. See you next Sunday.